right, well, good morning, everybody. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, have any of you here ever been to a place called Five Below? Anybody recognize this place? Well, I love this place because everything in the store is $5 or less. And, well, I'm cheap, so I like that. Although I've recently learned now there's a 10 below section where everything's $10 or less, and I've just lost all faith in humanity. But I really do like five below um, because I can take my kids there, and I can say, all right, guys, you can get one thing, but it can be anything in the entire store. And they love that. Well, um, my son, Josh, he's four. He loves the little, like, baskets with wheels because they're, like, just his size. So he loves to push those around. I think we've got a picture of him. So the other day, I was here at Five Below, and I was shopping with my kids there. And um, while we, we were there, my son was pushing around his little basket, and he was maybe about 10 feet away from me. But I still had my eye on him, you know, and he was looking at some toys. And then all of a sudden, he gives me this orneriest little grin. And he takes off down the next aisle. So I chase after him, you know, and I look down the aisle. He's not there. So I look down the next aisle. He's not there. And then all of a sudden, I am filled with this immense panic that any parent who has ever lost a child has experienced. I mean, you parents in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? I mean, within about 10 seconds, my mind had concocted 30 different scenarios of how my child could have come to an untimely end. I mean, I was just completely uh, freaking out. Well, anyway, so I had this moment where I'm like, okay, I have a decision to make here. I can calmly look down every aisle until I find my son, or I could scream, Joshua, and freak out everybody in the entire store. Well, I kind of decided to do something in the middle, and I just rushed down every aisle of this silent panic trying to find him. Well, just as I was about to completely lose it, I see Josh's little basket coming around the corner. And I go, Joshua, and I ran up to him, and I threw my arms around him, and I squeezed him tight. And this huge just sense of relief came over me. Oh, there would be consequences later. But in this moment, I was just so happy that my baby was safe and sound. Have you ever been lost before? I mean, it is a terrible feeling, right? When you're a little kid and you're lost, you don't know if anybody's looking for you. You don't know if anybody even cares. I mean, you don't know how to get home. You don't know who you can trust or who you can talk to. It's a terrifying feeling. Well, over the past six weeks, uh, Pastor Chris has been talking to us about Psalm 23. And this is a chapter in the Bible written by a shepherd named David. And he compares God's relationship to us with a shepherd and his sheep. So what does any of that have to do with getting lost, right? Well, one thing that you should know about sheep is that they get lost really easily. Like my son, Josh, they are prone to wander, all right? And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But one of the reasons is that their eyes are on the sides of their head. So they can't see straight in front of them. So a lot of times um, they might see something over to the side and pretty soon it draws their attention and they start to sort of wander in that direction. And then all of a sudden they look around and realize they've lost their shepherd. Well, I'm sure David, as a shepherd himself, spent his fair share of time searching down lost sheep and bringing them back to the flock. But the fact is that David was a human being, just like you and just like me, and he was also prone to wander. 
to wander away from the one who knew him best and who loved him most, his heavenly father, his shepherd. So why do we wander, right? Well, we wander because many of us don't always see well. And I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually, many times we get our eyes off of God. And pretty soon our eyes, our attention is drawn to the doubts and the fears around us. Or we see something shiny and it looks like fun and and we go after it, but really don't know that it's going to cause us harm in the end. And so we focus on those things and we begin to wander in that direction. And then all of a sudden we look around and we realize that we are lost. But here's the good news. We have a shepherd who is not content to just let us wander. He is not comfortable with having lost sheep. And so he comes after us. He pursues us time and time again. No matter how far we go, no matter how long it takes, he never stops searching for us. And David, in Psalm 23, we're going to look at the very last verse, and he states this so clearly when he says this. Indeed, goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And that leads us to our big idea for today. If you want to write this down, God will never stop pursuing you. God will never stop pursuing you. And David experienced the pursuit of God's goodness and his mercy time and time again. There were several times in David's life where he took his eyes off of his shepherd. One time in particular, so David had kind of risen in the ranks from the position of just an ordinary shepherd. And he had risen all the way up to the role of the king of Israel. And one day, David was, as king of Israel, he was walking along on the roof of his palace And something caught his attention, a woman that was taking a bath. He saw something shiny, and he got distracted by that. And pretty soon, one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. And it ended up he had an affair with this woman. He got her pregnant, and then he had her husband murdered. I think it's probably not much of a stretch at this point to say that David was lost. He had gotten his eyes off of his shepherd. Now, at this point, God could have completely given up on David, right? I mean, most of us would. He really screwed up. He could have been just said, I'm done with you. But instead, God chose to pursue David. And the way he did this was through his friend, Nathan. So Nathan was a really good friend of of David's. And God sent Nathan to go and to confront David in his sin. And Nathan came to him face to face and he's like, listen, man, you really messed up here. You really screwed this up and you need to make things right. And in that moment, when he confronted him, David, he realized what he had done and he just became completely crushed under the weight of this sin. And he cried out to God and he begged him for mercy. And he said this, we read this in Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. You know, sometimes I think we think that um, God holds on tightly to mercy. 
right? Kind of like this water bottle. And that if we beg and we plead and we beat ourselves up and, and we try to do a thousand different good things to outdo all the bad that we've done, that maybe, just maybe, he'll loosen up his grip a little bit and he'll just give us the tiniest little drop of mercy. But that's not how God is at all. God loves to just pour, you're glad I closed this, right? You just pour out mercy all over us. He is ready and he is eager to forgive. He's just waiting for us to admit that we screwed up and that we need help. And that's exactly what David did. He admitted his guilt. He cried out to God and God poured mercy over him. And that's why David later on was able to write this in another psalm. In Psalm 86, he said, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and truth. God, or David knew the mercy of God to be abounding, to be overflowing, to be plentiful. And that same mercy is available for everybody, every one of us here today as well. You know, Jesus, God's son, um, one time he was talking to his, his small group, his disciples, and he told them, you know what, I am a good shepherd. And he told them this story about the kind of shepherd he was and the kind of um, shepherd he was to pursue the ones that he loved. So it goes like this. Jesus said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out and search for the one who is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. So looking at that story, let's think for a minute about what Jesus didn't say. Okay, he didn't say, if one of my sheep wanders away, serves him right. Maybe he'll learn his lesson. Maybe he'll realize that he should stop taking his eyes off me. And if he really feels bad, then he will make the effort to come and to find a way back to the flock on his own. Jesus doesn't say that. Okay, Jesus didn't say, you know what, I have 99 problems. I'm not going to go and look for another one, all right? I have way more important things to do. I'm just going to have to let this one go. No, he doesn't say that. He said he goes and he searches and he seeks the one that was lost. And I am so glad that he is that kind of shepherd. Because at one point in my life, after I had just graduated from college, I began to take my eyes off of God and I began to wander. It was a time in my life where fears and doubts started to distract me and to pull me off course. And pretty soon I just completely stopped believing in God. It just didn't make sense to me that he could be real. And even if he was real, it seemed like he wasn't paying attention, any attention to me. And so I just stopped believing. Now, oddly enough, even though I didn't believe in God, I kept praying to God um, for some reason, maybe out of habit. But my prayers would go something like this. It'd be like, all right, God, I really don't believe you're real. It doesn't make any sense to me that you could exist. But I want to believe. But I feel myself wandering away. I can feel it. Please don't let me fall away from you. Please, God, don't let me fall away from you. Well, a few months later, a, a woman that I knew, a friend of mine, she invited me to a women's prayer meeting. And for some reason, I decided to go and join her. 
And I just sort of sat through this prayer meeting and listened to the women pray. And just as it it was about to end, um, I got up to leave. And just as I was about to go out the door, a woman named Joe came up to me. And uh, Joe said, hey, would you mind if I could pray with you? And she didn't know who I was. She didn't know anything about me. So I said, sure. And I told her my name was Emily, and she began to pray for me. And as she prayed, um, she said to me, she said, Emily, I think that God wants you to know today that he is never going to let you fall away from him, that you are much too precious to him, that you are like that one sheep that wandered away and that he's going to go after you and he's going to bring you back. And it was in that moment that I knew, I knew that God was real. Everything still didn't make sense. I still had questions. I still had doubts. But I knew that God was pursuing me, and I knew that he had been the entire time. And today, maybe some of you are wandering, right? Maybe God has seemed distant, and life has just seemed really hard, and you've just sort of stopped believing, or you've stopped following him. Or maybe like David, a temptation popped up in a weak moment, And you sort of went after it, and it distracted you, and it pulled you away, and pretty soon you realize that you you have been lost, and you can't figure out your way to get back. And if that's you, I want you to know God hasn't given up on you. God is still pursuing you. He's still going after you. And it may not always seem like it, all right? But pay attention to those subtle little signs of God's pursuit. It could be a friend that he brings along your path, who confronts you about a sin. And yeah, it doesn't feel good, all right? But it's, it's a show of God's abounding mercy. It's an act of his mercy for you. It could be as simple as a friend sending you a text or asking you to meet for coffee in an opportune time in your life. It could be a message that you hear on Sunday morning that it's like God specifically wrote this for you. Or it could even come, his pursuit could come in the form of a disappointment or um, a closed door, and it, it keeps you from going down the wrong path. Any of those things God could use to pursue you, because he will do whatever it takes to bring you back to him. But here's something that you need to understand about our shepherd, about our good shepherd, is that he is a gentle shepherd, all right? So he's not going to go and, like, hog tie you and tie you up and throw you over his shoulder and drag you back to the flock, He's a gentle shepherd, so he's going to come to you quietly and gently and lead you back if you're willing and if you want to follow him back. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about all too well, all right? Some of you have wandered away, and he has brought you back maybe several times, and you know the power of God's mercy and how lost you would be without it. I would put myself in that category. I mean, God has shown me his mercy time and time again. So if that's you, what should be our response, right? I mean, should we just like hoard all this mercy and like do a little happy dance and be like, yeah, God pursued me? No, freely we have been given mercy, freely we should give. And David did this in such a great way in his lifetime. So uh, in 2 Samuel 9... Um, we read that David, King David, has learned that his greatest enemy, Saul, has died. Now, uh, Saul was the king before David, and he was not very happy about giving up his throne. All right, so he pursued David in a totally different way. He went after him for years, hunting him down, trying to kill him. 
So David was on the run for his life. He, was, he went hungry and thirsty and had to sleep in caves. And um, through all of this, um, Saul went after him trying to destroy him. So you would think that when he found out Saul died, he'd be partying, right? Like, yes, my enemy has died. Or you would think like any other king that he would take it to an even further level and he would go after his family, right? Destroy, take revenge on his family and make sure nothing like this ever happened again, right? But David didn't do that at all. Instead, when he heard the news that Saul had died, he asked a question. And this is the question that he asked. Is there no one remaining of the house of Saul to whom I can show the kindness of God? So instead of taking revenge on his family, Saul or David decided to ask a question. How can I show kindness to someone? How can I show kindness to this family? And when he asked that question, he was informed about a young man named Mephibosheth. Now, there's no way I'm going to try to say that again. So if you guys don't mind, I'm just going to call him Seth from now on, okay? So we heard about this guy named Seth. So Seth was Saul's grandson. And as an infant, Seth had been dropped on his feet and they became crippled. So he couldn't, back in those days, he couldn't have any kind of living. He couldn't support himself. Had to be cared for day and night. So David learned about Seth. And so he decided that he was going to pursue him with the goodness and mercy that his shepherd had pursued him with. So David calls Seth to himself, calls him before him, and let's just read now about their conversation. So in 2 Samuel 9, it says, When Seth, son of Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, came before David, he bowed deeply, abasing himself, honoring David. And David spoke his name, Mephibosheth. All right, that's the last time I'm saying that. Yes, sir. And David said, don't be frightened. I'd like to do something special for you in memory of your father, Jonathan. To begin with, I'm returning to you all the properties of your grandfather, Saul. Furthermore, from now on, you'll take all your meals at my table. Well, shuffling and stammering, not looking him in the eye, Seth said, who am I that you would pay attention to a stray dog like me? See, Seth didn't believe that he was worthy of the goodness and the mercy that David wanted to give him. But David was determined to give it to him, and he insisted. And then we read later on in verse 12 that Seth ate at David's table just like one of the royal family. Now, when David invited Seth to eat at his table, he was not just inviting him over for a dinner party, okay? This went much deeper than this. I love the way Derek Kidner, he's a British theologian, I love the way he explains it. He says it like this. In the Old Testament world, to eat and drink at someone's table created a bond of mutual loyalty and could be the culmination token of a covenant. So to be God's guest is to be more than an acquaintance invited for a day. It is to live with him. So when David invited Seth to eat at his table, he wasn't just inviting him to dinner. He was inviting him to be a part of his family, to come and to live with him for the rest of his life. Well, we started out today with the last verse of Psalm 23, uh, verse 6, but there's a little more to it, and I want to read the rest of it for you. So it says, Indeed, goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell 
in the house of the Lord for endless days. God pursues us. He shows us goodness and mercy, and then he brings us into his home to be with him forever. And guys, that doesn't just mean that one day we get to go to heaven and dwell with him in his house, although that's true. But that means that right now, right here, we can dwell in his house. We can be with him. We can sit in his presence and dwell with him and hang out with him. We can dwell in his house right here, right now. So how do we respond to all of this? How do we respond to knowing that God is pursuing us with goodness and with mercy? Well, first of all, stop wandering, all right? Stop wandering and come back to him. Stop running away. And when you do, pursue God. Go after him. Chase after him. I love the way uh, Pastor Tommy Tenney, in his book, God Chasers, I love the way he explains it. Listen to this. He said, it's like playing chase with my daughter. When she comes and tries to catch me, even with my hulking frame, I really don't have to run. I just artfully dodge this way and that. And then she, even then she can't touch me because a six-year-old can't catch an adult. But that's not really the purpose of the game because a few minutes into it, she laughingly says, oh, daddy. And it's at that moment she captures my heart, if not my presence or my body. And then I turn, and she's no longer chasing me, but I'm chasing her. And we tumble in the grass with hugs and kisses. The pursuer becomes the pursued. And if we catch his heart, then he turns and he chases us. And that's the beauty of being a God chaser. You're chasing the impossible, knowing that it's possible. So chase after God. Pursue him Go after him. Nothing is greater than having a relationship like that where you're pursuing him and he's pursuing you back. And secondly, pursue others with goodness and mercy. Ask the question that David asked. Is there anyone to whom I can show some godly kindness? And then pursue others with that godly kindness. Well, I want to share one more story today for any of you who are maybe still on the fence wondering, is God really pursuing me? And this is the story of Guo Gangtang. It's another hard one to pronounce there. Well, 24 years ago, Guo's two-year-old son was playing just outside of his home in China while his mom was making dinner. And in just those few minutes, kidnappers came and snatched his son away from his home with the idea of selling him to the highest bidder. Well, police were unable to track him down, and his father, Guo, heartbroken, decided to attach a sign to the back of his motorbike, and it said this, Son, where are you? Dad is looking for you to come home. And for 24 years, he drove back and forth across the country searching for his son. He went through 10 motorbikes, went over 300,000 miles, He was thrown from his bike at one point, almost got in numerous accidents. Many times he would sleep outside if he couldn't afford a hotel. But he never stopped searching for his son. But he could never track him down. Until June of last year, when law enforcement was able to track down Woe's son through DNA testing. And it was the reunion of a lifetime. Guo bought a thousand pounds of candy to share with his neighbors to celebrate this incredible event. 
And when they finally reunited, Guo and his wife tearfully embraced their now 26-year-old son. After 24 years, Guo had finally found him. Now, when reporters came to him and asked, how are you feeling about all this? He said this, our child is found. From now on, only happiness is left. Well, if that is the length that an earthly father would go to pursue his son, how much more would our heavenly father pursue us? He will never, ever, ever stop pursuing us. It doesn't matter how far we go. It doesn't matter how long it takes. He would give anything to get you back, even his own life on a cross. Because our shepherd is never going to just let us go. He is going to pursue us with goodness and with mercy so that we can dwell in his house forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a father who never gives up on his children, who pursues us to the ends of the universe. Thank you for pouring out mercy on us when we wander away and for never giving up on us. Help us to be God chasers who pursue you every day and to allow us to let you to pursue us back, God. We love you, Lord. Amen. Well, Caleb and Mikey are going to be leading us through a song now called Reckless Love, and it's all about the way that God pursues us. And uh, one of my favorite lines is in this song, goes like this. There's no shadow he won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me. There's nothing that God won't do to pursue you. There's nothing he won't do to bring you back. So as we sing this song today, I want to encourage you to stop wandering and to come back to him and chase after him and pursue him today. So if you would, please stand as we sing.
lose your foe, steal your love far from me. You've been so so good to me. Enough for no worth. You paid it all for me. You've been so so kind to me.
Father, forgive me of my sins. I choose to stop wandering today. Be the Lord of my life and be my Savior. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can dwell with you every day of my life. My life is not my own. Today, I give it all to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. 